Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large, Bill Crystal. Bill, you were lost in translation last week. We had Michael Warren filling in for you. You've made it back, but you sound a little worse for the wear from being in Japan. I think being in Japan was great. I'm not sure that 14-hour plane rides back are great for your... Uh, they seem to be very good for developing head colds, and which has now progressed to through various stages, but I'm getting better, and no one should shed any tears for me. I just sound a little... I, I'm sorry to inflict my voice on people. I, Michael Warren, Mike Warren did a great job. I, I really thought, listen to that, you know, why don't we just have Warren clear instead of <laughs> crystal clear? Or at least maybe we'll we'd make we'll to, make Warren pinch it more often. I think that is, it's good to get some... We'd have to call it like Warren Peace or something. Yeah, well, that's like good. That, I like know. that Warren Peace. Yeah, but at least we can get, get some good on-the-ground reporting of what's going on at the White House while I was watching from 10,000 miles away. But it's good to be back. I've been on the road a little bit this week in New York and Chicago, and uh, it's an interesting week in politics, huh? Interesting week. I'm, I'm told there was an election Tuesday... I noticed that. I was at Midway Airport in Chicago, flying to New York, as it happened. My flight was delayed, so I was able to go online. A flight out of Midway delayed? I'm shocked. Yeah. No, Midway's pretty good, I think, compared to O'Hare. So one reason I fly in and out of Midway more is if I'm in Chicago is it's so much better than O'Hare, I think. But it was a delay, like 45 minutes. It was no big deal. But uh, it allowed me to stay online just to... To, to make sure that Jones had won. I mean, the, 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 it, was, it was progressing that way, but it was a little unclear at the original boarding time. But once it got delayed, I was able to to stay on my laptop. I was shocked. I tweeted this at the airport. There I was, you know, uh, intensely looking at my computer, going back and forth from different websites that were tracking the vote and projecting the vote. And uh, where's the outstanding vote from? Oh, it's from Mobile and Montgomery. So it looks like Jones will... Will win that vote and overcome more, et cetera, et cetera. And I look around, and no one else is like doing, so far as I can tell, anything like what I am doing. Every normal person at that airport is having a beer. It's kind of by that time, it's like nine o'clock at night, you know, chatting with their family, uh, talking to friends on their cell phones, on their iPhones, uh, reading some, you know, some some novels and paperback or whatever, looking at movies on their on their on their iPod iPads. I, I th- it made me, it's a good reminder that not everyone is following the suburb, the, you know, was the, the, what's happening in the precincts in the suburbs of Montgomery and how much outstanding vote is there there, and will it overcome Moore's lead at that point? Well, those listening to this podcast can be assumed, however, to, to have such interests. Correct. So uh, let me ask you, why did Roy Moore lose? Well, I think the, the, the sexual predation stuff you know, put him over the top in terms of defeat. Uh, there were a lot of other things that made him a less than ideal candidate. Uh, and obviously, it's good. I think it's it, it has been a bad year, 2617 for Republicans, even outside of Alabama. And it probably foretells a reasonably bad year, unless things change a lot, in 2018 for Republicans across the country. Uh, Trump's not a very popular president. Um, the Republican Congress isn't well thought of. Uh, this, Despite the fact that the economy is strong, the markets are up, and if, in, fa- in a weird way, if Trump and the Congress had sort of run on a more status quo agenda and just said, look, put us in charge, we'll take away some of these regulations, we won't mess with things, and we'll have a pretty decent economy and a pretty decent country, in a way, then they could say, so, well, if we haven't passed all the stuff we hope to pass. But look, things are pretty good anyway. But in a weird way, Trump is so much an agent of change and everything has to be fixed that when you don't get the big change legislation passed, people take it out on you. Maybe the tax bill passage will, will change things a little bit. Uh, but I'm pretty doubtful that that's going to um, have such great positive effects that it will really change the judgment of either the president uh, or the Congress. In terms of Alabama, that obviously had its own dynamic, and 
pretty uh, unusual race and a remarkable race. Um, but it will mean that next year, as a practical matter, there are 51 Republicans and 49 Democrats, which does make the margin even less in terms of preserving that Republican majority. Maybe it invites Trump and McConnell to think about some bipartisan legislation, or maybe it just means we have more slugfests with, with even less margin for error uh, on the part of Republicans. Well, what's interesting is, you know, there's always the talk of turnout and turnout mattered in the election. But what's interesting about the election is enough Republican voters turned out that if they had voted the Republican ticket, Roy Moore would have won. Democrats stuck with the Democrat vote. Republicans, uh, some 10 percent of them, either voted for the Democrat or for a write-in candidate of their choice. Yeah, one person who follows Alabama pretty closely and looked at the numbers said, yeah, one way to think about it is Democratic turnout was up. Certainly African-American turnout was higher than in a normal off-year special election without an African-American candidate. It was almost at Obama levels for Jones. So that was really striking. So that got him, you might say, into like the ballpark, you know, of, of, of being of contesting in a state that's not normally at all close. Uh, then there was the Republican, two aspects of Republican turnout. Uh, maybe something like 10% of Republicans who showed up voted either for Jones mostly uh, or was it 1.5% who wrote in other candidates. And that was enough to make the margin. And a certain chunk of Republicans didn't vote. So Republican turnout was was down or at least flat compared to, uh, certainly down compared to, certainly not up compared to Democratic turnout. Um, And so suburban Republicans just stayed home. Uh, Democrats surged in turnout. Some Republicans switched. Altogether, that perfect storm still only meant a point and a half victory for the Democrat. It shows you what, how Republican a state Alabama is and how uphill it was for Jones. But if you replicate that, anything like that, anything like that, and obviously Moore is exceptionally bad candidate, but if you replicate even two-thirds of that in, let's say, a normal state in a Virginia or a Pennsylvania or a Colorado or Tennessee and start projecting a kind of very energized Democratic vote, a Republican vote that has some defections to the Democrat, and probably more importantly and more likely, some number of people just staying home out of unhappiness with Trump or the Republican Congress, you can get to a pretty awful year for Republicans pretty fast. It doesn't. You don't need the Alabama scale of 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 change of of defection, uh, um, but you need. But even sort of half or two thirds of that scale, as I say, gets you to I think Democrats winning the House and having a, quite a good shot to win the Senate. And, you know, a lot of sort of just mainstream voters are at a loss to figure out what this administration and what the Republican Party is all about. At at times, there are things that seem sort of normal, um, judicial appointments, um, tax cutting efforts. And um, and then there's things that are just, you know, sort of nutty and chaotic. And when you take and you add to it a kooky candidate, that just tips the that sort of answers the question for the voter what does the republican party stand for well the here here's the manifestation of the party in front of us that we have to pull the lever for and he's a kook i think that's an important point i mean it's bad enough it does some damage if you got let's say quote a normal presidential candidate and a you know uh, sort of competent uh, and reasonably well respected perhaps uh, leaders in, in congress uh, and then you just get an odd candidate, but you get unlucky in a primary and someone who's a bad candidate wins. Uh, usually that damages you badly in that state. But actually, the, 
the studies have shown and experience shows that it doesn't have much spillover effect. Having that kooky woman in Delaware in 2010, Christina She's O'Donnell, not a witch. Yeah, right. It didn't really change people. Pat Toomey was able to win in neighboring, in neighboring Pennsylvania, even though Christine O'Donnell got clobbered in Delaware in 2010. Why was that? Because voters didn't look at Pat Toomey and say, well, he's part of the same party as Christine O'Donnell. It just seemed like Christine O'Donnell was kind of a one-off, oddball primary choice by the Republicans in Delaware. So the, the price you pay for an oddball nominee is confined to that state. If the president himself has sort of uh, touches of that extremism and oddness and sort of then decides to embrace and his some of his top aides or former top aides like Steve Bannon embrace and tout this oddball candidate. And if they have huge rallies with all these people who are associated with Trump then showing up with more, suddenly it's like, well, gee, that's sort of like what this Republican Party is becoming like. And that's where I think people were terrified if more won that it would hurt Republicans everywhere, but even more losing just in such a high visibility, but just being the nominee in such a high visibility race, I think has more detrimental effects on Republicans elsewhere than would have been the case, as I say, with something like Christine O'Donnell. Now, Steve Bannon had declared that this was going to be the year of his uh, picking all of the nominees to knock off the establishment uh, Republicans in the Senate. Does the Roy Moore defeat, which he championed, uh, he championed Roy Moore, does the defeat of Roy Moore blunt Bannon's efforts to unseat the establishment (laughs) Republicans? You know, I don't know. One would think it might, but it might also be the case that his the kind of people who are interested in voting for those kinds of candidates don't they care more about who the nominee is than whether the nominee wins in the general election. Uh, they want to send a message. Maybe they think that more he had his own really personal problems with the sexual predation, which was irrelevant, you might say, or or, or you know not anticipated by by Bannon and and other populist types. Trumpy types won't have that problem, presumably. So I'm not. I'm less confident than a lot of Republicans in Washington that oh, this is a decisive defeat for Steve Bannon. He's discredited. His candidates aren't going to win. I don't really buy that. I think Bannon, to his credit, I mean, is a hard. You know, he's a hard charging guy. He's not going to give up just because his candidate lost one race by one and a half points. Um, he's going to continue to try to find people to run in these primaries. And the mood of the Republican primary electorate may still be sufficiently anti-establishment, to use that term, pro-Trump, that he'll be willing to nominate people who I think will be bad general election candidates, but could, as we were just saying before, could color the perception of the Republican Party uh, in a way that will damage all Republican candidates uh, across the nation. Let's jump to Capitol Hill hearings this week about the FBI and um, there were revealed some private communications that were um, ill-advised by some FBI agents, which has been leading to, um, if not calls, at least suggestions that the FBI needs investigating itself. And you tweeted on Wednesday that the call for a second special counsel is silly and a distraction. The point of the coordinated remarks by House Republicans at today's Rosenstein hearing is to lay the groundwork to justify Trump's firing of Mueller. Yeah, Trump wants to fire Mueller. It gets pretty clear. Uh, And I do think the Republicans on Wednesday, the House Republicans reading statement after statement, saying the whole investigation has been called into question, uh, which I don't think is true. I'll come back to that in a minute. I mean, if that's true, then you need to end the investigation or fundamentally change the direction of the investigation. Look, these FBI agents... 
their texts. It's hard to know, know out of context how seriously to take them. It's hard to even know why we're reading people's private texts in a sense. But at the end of the day, the Mueller investigation and the Comey investigation when he was head of the FBI, the FBI investigation, they found what they f- found or they're going to find what they're going to find. And whatever the individual views of FBI agents, just like the individual views of cops, if you're going to, assuming it's going to be presented to the public, assuming they can't railroad people, which I don't think they can, uh, assuming there are real judges presiding here and whatever cases get 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 brought, um, we'll learn what happened or what didn't happen, you know. So it's worth raising questions about these agents' texts. It's, of course, Mueller suspended the agent, in fact, one of the agents in question. So he thought it was concerning enough to maybe bend over backwards and just remove him from the case. Uh, it's worth having the IG look into it, which is happening. But the notion that the Trump Justice Department, the Trump AG and Deputy AG are, are, are sort of not being strong enough and making sure the investigation is fair strikes me as a little odd as an argument. These congressmen are all popping off without having any knowledge of what's really happening in the Mueller investigation. There have been zero, I mean, Mueller hired some people who contributed to Hillary, basically, but there have been no argument of impropriety in the Mueller investigation itself. No one has said, Michael Flynn shouldn't have, you know, pled guilty to something he wasn't guilty of. No one's really saying Paul Manafort's charges look like they're not based on good evidence. No one that I know, uh, no defense lawyer that I've heard, incidentally, has said, oh, the way Mueller's team is treating us is inappropriate or horrible. The White House counsel says they have a good relation, actually, with the special prosecutor's team, and they're, you know, people are having interviews all the time. So I'm not giving Mueller a blank check or 100% defense. I think there's questions that are fair enough about the FBI agents. But to start talking about how the whole thing's illegitimate and it has to be ended, that really just gives cover to Trump who wants to end it, uh, and not for good reasons, I think, not because it's unfair, but because he's scared of what they're going to find. Um, and I think I think Trump wants to, though, and I, I don't think it's at all, uh, I don't know if it's likely, but I think the odds are not zero, certainly, that Trump will try to find a way to end it in the next month or so. And that will be a genuine political and constitutional moment. Yeah, you, you, you say that the president may be looking for this to give him cover to end the probe. But isn't it kind of a, a, a fantasy to think that, um, that there would be anything that really resembled cover out of, out of this kind of investigation? No, that's a good point. Well, maybe but enough political support that he wouldn't be left alone. It wouldn't be a Nixon situation. He would have a majority of the Republican conference saying, you know what, there's a lot, and people on Fox News and Newt Gingrich and all saying, yeah, there was all this impropriety. Uh, we don't want to get into too detailed a discussion of exactly what was inappropriate and exactly how whatever they inappropriately texted a year and a half ago has is, is, is implicated the actual investigation that's gone on. And what really happened in these different Trump meetings and Trump Tower meetings and discussions with Flynn and all that, uh, they want to, let's not get into that. It's all terrible. And it, Trump did the right thing. That's what Trump's hoping, that he, he holds three quarters of the Republican conference in the House uh, and has kind of a, it just becomes a normal party showdown instead of hemorrhaging of Republican and conservative support. I, I think it may be a fantasy, as you say, that he could do that. And maybe he won't do it for that reason. Maybe he'll decide it's too risky. But he clearly is um, the whole – all the attacks on the FBI, which I think are very unseemly and inappropriate for a president to make anyway, the attacks on the Justice Department, uh, the, the other attacks that he's encouraging members of Congress and people on Fox to make, I, I think – I don't really see what the point of that is unless he's thinking seriously about trying to uh, get rid of Mueller. 
We have a moment for uh, uh, one policy question. We'll do it McLaughlin style. Prediction, does tax reform, tax cuts, does it pass? You know, I, I'm. everyone thinks yes, and I guess I remain much more equivocal about it. I still think it, there are some real obstacles. I, if you would have gone in my head, I'd say yes, but I, to be contrary, and I'm going to leave open the possibility of no. But we can decide this next week, can't we, when we actually know the answer. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll sound like we knew it all along. Exactly. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us on the Crystal Clear Podcast. Thanks, Eric. Support for the Crystal Clear Podcast comes from Tripping.com. Did you know that the average family visits five websites before booking a vacation rental? You can spend less time planning your next trip and more time relaxing with Tripping.com, the world's number one site for vacation rentals. Whether you're looking for a cabin to get away for New Year's Eve, planning your next beach vacation in Hawaii, or that vacation in Europe where you'll live like a local, Tripping.com can help you find the perfect place to stay. Vacation rentals offer flexibility, perks, and amenities that hotels don't, like multiple bedrooms, backyards, hot tubs, free Wi-Fi, and even fully stocked kitchens. With Tripping.com, one search lets you filter, compare, and sort over 10 million available properties on trusted sites like VRBO, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and more. Don't wonder if you're getting the best deal. You'll save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. So don't forget, if you want to save time and money while booking the perfect vacation rental for your next trip, head to Tripping.com standard today. That's Tripping.com standard. That's it for today's Crystal Clear Podcast. I'm Eric Belton. Catch you next time.